I uh, used to play basketball back when we were allowed to do those kinds of things with people we didn't know. Uh, but I would play basketball at the gym, and uh, sometimes somebody would come in and they would be talking trash. They would be talking about uh, how they were going to beat me, old man, or uh, score on me, or shut me down, or whatever. And you never really knew with people. They would come in and you wouldn't know. Can this person actually play basketball, or do they just talk a lot? And you don't know which, that, which it is until you actually start playing. The talking doesn't really matter because it's all in the playing. Well, we have a similar thing this morning in James chapter 3. If you were uh, here with us last week or if you've been reading uh, in the book of James up to this point, uh, you'll remember that last week we were talking about the beginning of James chapter 3 in which... Uh, He says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And he goes on to say that uh, we stumble in many ways, and one of the things that's most dangerous is our tongue, the way that we use our tongue, the way that we use our speech is one of those most dangerous things, that we shouldn't want to uh, put ourselves in a place where uh, we are seeking to influence or instruct other people because we should be aware of our own tendencies to say the wrong things and do the wrong things and recognize how destructive uh, our words can be. That is, that they can be like a a raging wildfire, that, that just the sparks of our words can cause the destruction of a wildfire among um, people and causing divisions and that sort of thing. Well, in the same context as he's talking about uh, not many of you should become teachers, then he transitions to uh, uh, verse 13 in James chapter 3 where it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as he's told them uh, to be careful about becoming teachers, becoming people who are in prominent places and seeking to influence and instruct people, leaders in that way, then he now says, now, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Did, Did you seek to be in that place? Did you think that you were wise? Whoever might be uh, wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Who, who thinks that they are wise? Here's what I find, is that if you ask somebody, do they think they're wise, usually they will say no. But when you're talking with somebody about something else, usually they think Yes. Right? So if you ask them directly, do you think that you're wise? They'll say, no, I don't think that I'm wise. But if you're talking about something else, they think that they're the wisest person in the room. I I see this often when you're talking to an employee or an employer. It doesn't matter which. 
You're talking with the employee, and what they're saying is, yes, I was talking with my employer, and I was trying to explain to him that this is what we need to be doing, but he never listens to me. Right? They, they think, the employee thinks that they really know what's going on and what the employer should be doing. They're the wisest person in the room, in their own minds. Now, if you were to talk with the employer, they would say, I keep talking with my employee and I keep telling him that he needs to do these things, but he never listens to me. Because the employer thinks that he's the wisest person in the room. Now, if you were to ask each of them, do you think you're wise? They would probably say, no, I don't think I'm that wise. But when you start talking about specific things, then suddenly I know everything that there is to know about this subject. I'm the wisest person in the room. I've even had this happen where I've been talking with somebody and I'm telling them about this issue that I have and they go, wait, I don't really understand. What is it that you're dealing with? And so I take the time to explain, this is the challenges, and these are the, the things that are happening, and then they go, oh, yeah, okay, well, what you should do is, they already know what, they didn't even know what I was talking about three minutes ago, but I must be so good at explaining it that they can tell me what I should be doing now. Wise in their own eyes. There are many people like this, I think most people have this tendency who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I love this verse. You think that you're wise, but it will come out in the conduct, in the good conduct. That's where it's displayed whether or not we're wise. We think of wisdom as being the things that we say right? That it's these, these wise instructions. We think of Solomon, the wisest person on the face of the earth, and the wisdom of Solomon in the Proverbs, right? We think of, of wisdom as maybe a Chinese Proverbs or other wise sayings of people, that these are, are wisdom passed down from generation to generation or really wise things that people say, but it's not in the saying itself that wisdom is found. Wisdom is found in the application of wise things. That is to say, if I say wise things, but I don't do any of those things, there's no actual wisdom there. Wisdom not applied is not wisdom. It has to be applied. It has to be done. And here's how it's done. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom, that humility, that gentleness. Not that in-your-face kind of way that we so often think of people who uh, are wise in their own eyes, right? Who in their own minds are wise, who in their own minds know what to do. They want to tell you about it, but a person who is actually wise is gentle. They're calm. There's a meekness about them, a humility about them, an unassuming nature about them. They don't have to yell. They just speak. And people listen because they know that what they're saying is wise. And they don't have to yell to be heard because if no one is listening, they just stop speaking. I don't have to be heard. What a contrast. What a contrast from the culture that we find ourselves in where everyone is shouting. 
where everyone is shouting, everyone wants to be heard, everybody is screaming into the void because they think that their opinion needs to be heard. Everyone should listen to them because they really understand this stuff and can explain how we ought to proceed. And so everybody is shouting and nobody is listening. And so things that we refer to as debates today are just two people screaming at each other. It's not wisdom. There's no wisdom in that. Wisdom should be shown through the good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. We, we talked earlier in the book of James about um, how faith apart from works is, is dead, right? He's talking about now the same thing with wisdom. He, he was asking the question, if you have faith and you don't have any works that go along with it, that is, if you say you believe, but you don't act in any way that aligns with the things you say that you believe, do you really believe? Is that kind of faith, that only stated faith, able to save you? Is it efficacious? Does it have any effect in your life at all? Or is it not real faith? The same thing is true here. He's now saying the same kind of thing in wisdom. If you are wise and understanding, then it will be shown by your good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. That's how it will be displayed. That's how you'll know if someone is wise or not wise. It will come out in the way that they conduct their, themselves. It will come out in their works, in their action, and it will come out in their attitude of meekness. But, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. We, we have this temptation to believe that we are wise, that we know what we ought to be doing, or we know what other people ought to be doing. But he says, but, but be careful of this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. That, that desire that selfishly desires to get ahead. That for my own sake, I want to do these things and I aspire to these things. This bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So that when we look at other people, we say, ooh, I want what they have. Initially, as I read this, I think, I don't, I don't think I'm that selfish of a person. But then you start to think about various aspects and go, okay, was I jealous, frustrated when that other person got promoted instead of me? When they got the position instead of me? When they got that role instead of me? Did I have a bitterness about that? Was I frustrated about that? Because I have earned that role. I deserved that role. I was the best candidate for that role. How come they got that role instead of me? We have this jealousy about us, this selfish ambition about us that creeps in and, and presses us toward desiring these things and causing division between us and other people because they have those things that we think we want or that we think that we deserve. How destructive this can be in the church. How destructive this can be in families. And it works its way in there. 
when one child is seen by another child to be the favored one? And so you look to the parents and that, that you're so frustrated because how come they always get all the things? How come mom and dad always treat them so well? Why isn't it me? And you'll see these same kinds of divisions that come up after a parent dies and then a will is, is read and it was or wasn't the way that you expected it to be or there wasn't a will at all. And suddenly there's this competition and there's this bitterness and there's this jealousy and there's this division within the family. How sad is that? This is that, that uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that is not the same as the meekness of wisdom, that gentleness. He says, if you have this bitter jealousy, this selfish ambition in your hearts, then do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't, don't be boastful, claiming to know, proclaiming to, to be the wise and understanding one. Now l listen to this, right? So in verse 13, he's talking about that person generally. Whoever might be wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now in verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, he, he's talking right at us. But if you, if you have je bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. And I step back and go, hey, hold up now, James. Coming on a little strong there, man. I don't even like you that much. You just came right at me, accusing me. Yeah. If you have this bitter jealousy, somebody might have wisdom, but you, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't boast and be false to the truth. I don't think that what he's talking about here is boasting and lying to other people, right? Boasting and then deceiving other people into thinking that I'm wise when I'm not but rather that if my desires are bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I don't have wisdom, and so I shouldn't be boasting and thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think, thereby deceiving myself, therefore believing something that isn't true about me. I thought that I was wise, but in fact I have this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and so I don't, I'm not actually wise. So I shouldn't be boasting there. I shouldn't be putting myself uh, in my own mind or before other people as being the one who's the best thinker in the room. That's not wisdom. This is not wisdom from above, he says in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. True wisdom comes from God. It's a gift that he gives to us. Our Father in heaven looks at us in our need and he gives gifts to us wisdom. He gives us the Holy Spirit within us and it causes us to act wisely. 
because of his love for us. That's where wisdom comes from. It's the source of true, good wisdom. But when we have that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that's not that real wisdom. That's a self-promoting wisdom. That's not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That took a turn, didn't it? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's, it's an earthbound wisdom. It's a natural wisdom. It's a wisdom that comes from this realm in, in our culture and in our flesh that we think this is what we should do. It's even demonic. It reminds me of him in the last several verses when he was talking about the tongue, talking about having a hellish tongue. That, that the, the fires of hell set aflame the words that we're using that cause that division between us and other people. It's the influence of the devil that doesn't think about the things of God but is concerned with the things here on earth. And that self-promoting wisdom. Those lies that the devil has been using since the very beginning when he came and said, no, no, no. That's not true. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows then you would be like him. Those are the lies that we believe when we have this selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wherever there is this jealousy, wherever I, I have this bitterness for other people and I have this selfish ambition, then there's going to be all kinds of disorder and vile practices. There's going to be all sorts of competing, all kinds of divisions, all kinds of brokenness. And I would like to think that people are not this way, but in my experience, it's much more prevalent than I would like to admit Last week, I was on one of those marketplace uh, websites where they have all kinds of different things in your area, and so I was just looking through what are, kinds of, what are different deals that might be available around us, and I saw an RV that was $1,400. I wasn't even in the market for an RV, but for $1,400, maybe I should be. And so just on a whim, I decided that I would reach out to them and see, you know, could I come check this out, and, and is this a good deal? And so I emailed them. They were down in Salem. I said, hey, can I get some pictures of the inside of the RV to see what it looks like? Can I go down and, and take a look at it in the morning? They reached back and said, oh yeah, that's great. Would, you know, this is the situation. I said, great, when can I come and see it? I get an email the next morning that, that says, oh, I'm sorry, because of the divorce, I had to go to Oklahoma. And so I'm in Oklahoma now, but if you wire the money, then my brother-in-law will bring the trailer. Come on. I fell for these things 10, 20 years ago. I'm not falling for these anymore. These kinds of scams. These ways that people take advantage of one another because of their selfish ambition. And we harbor these things within ourselves and we desire those things that other people have. 
And it causes us to be bitter toward them, frustrated with them, not wishing their good, but for the sake of our good, wishing their ill. How come they got that promotion? I wanted that promotion. Hard to celebrate with them for their success when I wanted it. And so it causes all kinds of disorder and every vile practice. It causes division even within the church. We see those things because of people's preferences. When we look at the culture that surrounds us, there's all kinds of division, all kinds of frustration that works its way into the church. It shouldn't even be out there. How come it can be in here? People frustrated with the way that, that the church is doing things? How come you guys are doing it this way? How come you're not doing it that way? If I were in leadership, this is how I would do it. I think that, that James was writing to some churches where there were uh, factions within the church where people were uh, at odds with one another. One group was saying, no, we follow this person, and another group was saying, no, we follow this person, and those are the ones who are the people aspiring to be teachers to tell other people this is how we need to do things, purporting to be wise, and causing divisions within the church. And the same things can happen today. Why do we have to wear face masks? Why isn't everybody wearing face masks? How come the church is open? Why isn't the church all the way open? How come we sing these songs? How come we don't sing those songs? Happens all the time. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You want to decide if wisdom is true wisdom? These are the fruits of, of true wisdom. This is what the good works of true wisdom looks like. It's pure. There's no malice in there. It's wanting to follow a holy God. It is above all pure. Then peaceable. Peaceable. I think that peace is underrated. Do you know how wonderful peace is? To be at peace with other people? People want honor and they want glory and they want riches and they want comforts, but peace is where it's at, man. People who have the influence and the power and the money but they don't have peace would give all of that up for the peace. It's underrated. It's where true wisdom is. The wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, and it's gentle. It's open to reason. It's listening. 
easily persuaded. Not in a gullible kind of a way. This is how uh, Douglas Moo talks about it. It's, it's easy to get along with and easy to be persuaded. It's not weak gullibility, but a willing deference to others when issues of theological necessity are not in play. That is, when it's not the utmost important theological things that we cannot let go of, but anything else, it's the, a willingness to defer and to listen and to be persuaded It's that meekness of wisdom, that humility of wisdom that's willing to listen to what other people have to say rather than the the factiousness, right? Where you'd have the two different camps. And when you talk to just the one camp and you talk with them about what's going on, they will explain, this is what they're doing, this is what we're doing, and it sounds like, oh yeah, you guys are totally in the right. And then you go over here and you talk with these people over here and you listen to them and they're like, yeah, this is what we're doing and that's what they're doing. And you go, oh yeah, you guys are totally in the right. But in true wisdom, we come with an openness to reason. We're full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So that you can come and you can listen to the one or you can come and you can listen to the other or even if you only are listening to the one you are thinking about what might the perspective of the other person be. You're coming in a way that is impartial and humble and listening to try and understand the situation. And in the best way, not taking sides so that you can objectively listen and understand seeking the truth, but then in meekness, gentleness, humility, with full of mercy and good fruits, then walking alongside them, sincerely wanting what is good for them. How much we need friends like that. How much I need that kind of wisdom in my life. Somebody who will come alongside me and I will complain up one side and down the other about all of these things that are going on and how unfair it is and they can listen and sift and then with all gentleness and mercy say to me, Travis, I don't think that's how it all is. I think that's your perspective, but could it be that you're misunderstanding their motives? Could it be that you're misreading what they're saying and what they're doing? And help me to humbly come to reconciliation with my brothers. I need that kind of wisdom in my life. We need that kind of wisdom in the church. Let alone in the community. How desperate we are for this kind of peaceable, gentle, reasonable, compassionate, impartial, sincere wisdom. And I'll tell you what, as we get to this point in the text, I'm going, oh man. I start looking at the, if I have bitter jealousy and a selfish ambition, then I'm boasting and false to the truth. And then I read about what true wisdom is, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I go, I have got a long ways to go on this. 
I have got to work on this because I am not nearly where I should be. And if you find yourself in that same place, you might be telling yourself, I really need to try harder on this. I really need to do better on this. But that also is a worldly wisdom. Because remember that this is wisdom from above. This is a gift from God to us. We might find that we are deficient in this, but it's not the kind of thing where because we are deficient, we have to work harder at it. It's the kind of thing where we humbly come to the Lord and say, I'm short on wisdom, Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says this, we're going to end up in verses 33 and 34, but I want to read a few verses before we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who, of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Others may see it being foolishness, but when we look at Jesus, the one who came to die on the cross for our sins and reconcile us with God, we see the power of God. God looked at us and, and did not think, hey, you're really wonderful. You're really clever. You have earned my favor. Instead, he looked at us and said, you are not wise. What you need is a savior. And so he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved from our foolishness. The way of life that ends in death and separation from God. He gives us a true wisdom through the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we might see him and understand who he is. So that in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, So now those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Whoever we are, it is Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God for us. So then we finish in verse uh, 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is because of Jesus that we have righteousness that we live in a right way before God. It is because of Jesus that we have been sanctified, cleansed from our sin and our wrong thinking. It is because of Jesus that we have been redeemed. It is because of Jesus that we have wisdom. It is because of Jesus that we can live now in a new way. It is because of Jesus. So when we find that we are deficient, when we find that we aren't where we should be, that we're not exuding the kind of wisdom that God gives us to live like, then it is not our response to go, oh, I need to try harder on this. Instead, it is our response to say, God, I repent of my foolishness and of my sin. Would you forgive me? Because you have already sent Jesus to deal with my sin. And then we receive the Holy Spirit and verse 18 of James chapter 3, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Then we harvest that 
that uh, harvest of righteousness. And I love the way that, that we see this uh, word description of this. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. It's sown in a peaceable nature by those who make peace. How wonderful is that? It's as if we're sowing the seeds of righteousness into the soil of peace and then it springs up and those who are the peacemakers come along and harvest that righteous wisdom. What a great picture that we can be those peacemakers and we in that relationship of peace can be sowing these seeds of righteousness. And then seeing the fruition of that, the righteousness of our own, in our own lives and the righteousness in the community that we are in, that's the harvest. That's the harvest, the righteousness that's found in us and that is, is found in the context of peace, which is beautiful. So if any of us are lacking this, if any of us desire this, then we remember back to James chapter 1 in verse 5, where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. At no point is God going to be up in heaven, and we come to him and go, God, I'm lacking wisdom. And he's not going to look at us and go, What? You're being foolish? How could you do that? What were you thinking? That's not the kind of God that we have. We have the kind of God that when we come to him, we say, God, I'm lacking in wisdom and have been acting foolishly. And he says, I know, and I am so grateful that you asked. Because I have all kinds of wisdom. I have a load of wisdom here, and I just want to pour it out on you. I just want to rain down this wisdom from above on you so that you might be a person of wisdom, so that you might live a life of peace and righteousness, so that you might be content and filled with me, so you may be satiated with the reins of my wisdom on you. I am so glad that you asked because I desire to give this to you. Then in James chapter 1, verse 19, just a little further from verse 5, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every pe person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We put all that other stuff aside. We're just done with the anger. We're done with the strife. We're done with the division. We're done with all of that foolishness. We put it all aside. And we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I need you and I need your wisdom. And he gives it to us in the meekness, in our humility. Because of our humility, he gives it to us in the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Lord, I need your wisdom. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit within you to help you to discern, and I'm going to give you my word so that you might have wisdom. And then what a gift to be able to live that life of wisdom. 
And if you are like me, then we find that at this point, it's time to just come to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I need this from you today. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we come to you because we are foolish. We come to you because we have a great need. Lord, sometimes we do the things that are right. Sometimes we are gentle and peaceable and full of mercy. But other times we have a bitter jealousy and a selfish ambition. Sometimes we are boasting in ourselves, in our own strength and in our own knowledge and understanding. And so, Father, we ask, would you forgive us of those sins? Would you help us to, be, to recognize when we are being wise in our own eyes, but not in the truth? Would you bring wise counselors alongside us to help us discern those things? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit who would help us to identify right and identify wrong? Would you uh, help us to long for, to hunger for your word? And then as we read it, might we be filled with the knowledge of you? that we might see what true holiness is, that we might see what true love and mercy and compassion are, that we might know what true wisdom is, and that that wisdom would not only be in our minds, but would be worked into our hearts and through the fibers of our being so that we act and live and work and play and everything we do is lined up with the true heavenly wisdom. Father, we know that you desire to give it to us, and so we boldly ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.